this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by Warby Parker. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty objective to create boutique quality, classically crafted eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Warby Parker is the new way to shop for eyewear. They've got the coolest selection of vintage inspired glasses and they're all available online. Support the Book Riot podcast by ordering your glasses online at warbyparker.com bookriot and you'll receive free expedited three-day air shipping. Check it out. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 75, and we're recording on Thursday, October 16th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We are some of the editors of BookRiot.com. Happy rainy fall, mid-October Happy day to you. Happy 75th podcast anniversary. Oh, is that a thing? Is that a, it's like a, I'm your, totally, copper, your copper anniversary? I don't know. I feel like well. 75 is one of the finer metals than copper. Because 50 is silver. Is and, copper uh, even a metal? This is yes, not a good copper is a metal. Um, we can edit that out for you. Um, <laughs> 50, 50 is silver and 100 is diamond? Is that right? Do I have that right? Or is 25, even... maybe 25 is silver and 50 is gold and 100 is diamond. And so 75 is maybe platinum? Or maybe platinum's 100 because platinum's worth more than gold, but not as much as diamonds. I don't know. Rubies? <laughs> emeralds. Jade. So clearly I'm not getting any fine jewelry for this occasion. Or it'll be way out of scale <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for the anniversary. Anyway, 75. That's good. That's pretty good. So that'll Great. put 100 at sea in about in the spring. Sea, uh, somewhere in six months or so in the spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I don't know. If you've got any ideas out there, listeners, uh, for what we should do for a 100th episode or nothing. Nothing is always an option. Just a regular old episode. Let us know. Um, if you've got an idea. So uh, book, uh, podcast at bookriot.com, that's our email for that. Uh, let's do a quick thing, a plug for ourselves. So we've got this Riot Read, which is our monthly kind of subscription book club, basically, mm-hmm. where you sign up and we send you a new hardcover every month. And there's also a suite of content that goes along. It's over at riotread.com. Is that the URL? Yes, indeed. I have a that is the URL. Email. I don't type it. Riotread.com. And each month, so there's a book, there's a podcast that go along with the book. We do a questionnaire with the author and then a few other pieces of, of, of content around something related to the book. The book gets shipped right to you. It's a surprise every month. You don't know until you open it up. It was $30 a month, but now we dropped the price down to $25 a month. So that's nice. And tell them and what that includes. What, what, is that, what does that get them? Is that, that includes shipping, right? That includes shipping, yeah. It's a flat $25 yeah. a month. That's all you pay. You get the book. It ships. You get access to all of the content. That's mm-hmm. at Riot Read. Uh, there is an exclusive Goodreads group oh, for discussing right. yes. the book that is just for Riot Read members where we verify everyone who applies to come in. Uh, and who knows what else might come of it? We've had four months yes. now. Diverse. The whole goal is to have you know a you know diverse, interesting selections. And like with the stuff in our quarterly box, if you're familiar with that, really the only criteria is that this is an awesome book that we love and that we think Book Riot readers 
will love as well. We're hoping to maybe introduce you to some titles that you wouldn't have picked up on your own or that you hadn't heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, we started with Landline by Rainbow Rowell. Uh, we had The Land of Love and Drowning by Tiffany Yannick, which is one of my very favorite books of the year. Yeah, great debut novel. Mm -hmm. uh, Lucky Us by Amy Bloom. And then just today. No, 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 don't tell because some of these people haven't got their books yet. Oh, right. October, okay. Right. So, uh, right. So the October some book of you out there probably subscribe to this. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to go find it, you can go to, I think, riotread.com and all the content about the yep. book is up. Yeah, you'll be able to find it there. So you can uh, go spoil yourself. November and December are lined up. Uh, they are very different from anything that we've picked so far. We try to keep it try to keep it interesting. So if you're an adventurous spirit, this is a thing for you. You can get more information at riotread.com about what books we've selected, uh, you know, see the content that we've been doing, listen to the podcasts, and there will be links there to subscribe. It's for the United States only at this time because yeah. of shipping costs. Someday uh, we're going to figure that out. We're going to crack yeah, that particular nut. We are maybe working on a digital solution, ah, but, it, you know, I mean, who knows? The balls are still in the air on that. Um, yeah, $25 a month, which if you are paying attention to the cost of hardcovers. That's lower. Most, yeah, they, yeah that's, most that's adult, lower than sticker. Yeah, most adult hardcovers these days are rolling in at like $26.99, 27 mm -hmm. so, so here's the deal. Of course, if you want to go buy a book from Amazon hardcover, it's going to be cheaper. Yep. Can't compete with that. That's not what this is. That's not for you. This is us picking something we think you like. There's some other things that go along with it. Plus, the fun one of the, the fun parts, that's when we first started doing the quarter blocks, I didn't rate it properly. The <laughs> surprise bit. Yep. There's a book coming. I don't know what it is. It could be anything. Um, so that, that's, that's the, the Riot yeah. Read. And the Riot Read book that you receive each month comes with a letter written by a different rioter. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's me, often it's not, about why we picked the book um, and what we hope that you'll get out of it as well. It also, you know, maybe if you're looking for a holiday gift yeah. for a bookish person in your life, the Riot Read would be, you know, give them a subscription of book recommendations. It's also so. not you know, the top, you know, the most famous novels coming out. Like we didn't, like if it were you and I picking our favorite book of the month, we would pick Lila, right? Which it wasn't. Right. But so, right. cause we figure a lot of people are going to buy that anyway. So most of them are going to be things that are not, not the top sort of everyone's talking about. Like we wouldn't have picked the Goldfinch, right? Right. Or, or the new David Mitchell. Right. So yeah. um, we're trying to give you an, uh, an element of the discovery process that maybe, you know, uh, isn't uh, available everywhere else. Let's do our outside sponsor. It's Warby Parker. They're back. We haven't had them in a while. Hello and welcome back, Warby. So thanks for, to Warby Parker, Parker for sponsoring today's episode. So here's the deal. Let's be reasonable. Eyewear should not cost as much as an iPhone. It just, it just shouldn't. So True. Warby Parker was founded with the spirit and a lofty objective to create boutique quality, classic eyewear at a revolutionary price. So here's the deal. Prescription glasses start at $95, and their titanium collection is $145, which is way cheaper than if you go in and buy, like, Banana Republic or, you know, whatever those kind of eyeglasses you're going to get, Ralph Lauren yeah, or anything like that. Yeah, I can't even tell you what my Kate Spade reading glasses. You can't even say it out loud nope, or else I you're going to dis disappear into like, a hole of shame. It was, like, four years ago, and I still have trauma. Yeah, so um, you, this is this is great. So, and the other one of the reasons they can do this is there's they have a couple of showrooms, but most of it is online. Mm -hmm. So you go to warbyparker.com, and if you want to use slash bookwrite, you can get three day expedited free air shipping. And what you do is they go to home try on program. So you go on, you look at all their styles, and you pick five pairs of glasses, and they have they get shipped to you for free. Yep. 
and you can try them on. Now, they're not going to be prescription, obviously. They'll have blank lenses in them. But you can look in the mirror. You can have your friends and your family, your significant other, your kids or grandma, whoever you care about to help I've you seen, pick out your glasses. I've seen people take pictures of all the ones they got in yes. home try-on and put them up on like Facebook or Twitter and crowdsource their That's a really good selection. idea. Excellent idea. Um, and if you do that, I, someone out there, email to us. We'll give you some feedback on them as well. We can help you pick. Uh, and you get to keep them for five days and then send them back using the same box and the shipping labels in there. And you just put the shipping label that's included in the box over the one that was on there drop it in the post office box in your back, then you can pick which one of those, fill out your form, enter your prescription online. It's got sunglasses, eyeglasses, a whole bunch of different kinds. Um, so go to warbyparker.com slash bookriot, free 30, uh, excuse me, free three-day shipping to you. Check it out. I'm wearing Warby Parker glasses right now. I just got some new lenses. You saw them when you were here. I did. I saw them last week when we did our live show. They're great. Yeah, thank, well, thank you very much for saying that. Uh, I mean, you're such a handsome fellow. Well, come now, that's just... I don't know where to go now. I'm, I'm <laughs> lost. This is, you got me. Finally. finally They're very happened. distinguished looking. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's my bald pate that, that distinguishes. <laughs> it brings you know. all the girls to the end. That's right. Uh, so I, I, needed, I told you the story, and mm-hmm. I, the listeners will appreciate this. So uh, we have two kids, not you and I. Michelle and I uh, have two kids. <laughs> God, uh, that would be interesting. And, and, they, and they have somewhat unusual names, but not crazy names. Like that's, you know, because we live in Brooklyn, that's what we have to do. Um, my son's name is Ames, and my daughter's name is Rowan. Not, you know, it's not crazy, mm-hmm, not, not moon Apple. unit Zappa or something like yeah. that, but it's not super common. So I was in there, Michelle and I, Warby Parker actually has a um, showroom in New York in Soho. So we, we went down there, Michelle and I, to pick some out for me um, and to get my eyes checked. And two of the, st- they have style names. There's like one name styles. And one of the two I picked out that looked best on me, my regular glasses were Rowan's, the Rowan. And the sunglasses I picked out were the Ames. Now, that's weird, right? It's so weird. I can't get over it. And uh, when, when you told me the story last week, I remember thinking, or maybe I even said it out loud, like, Rowan is at least a name that a lot of, you know, that is known, you know, that yeah. lots of people have. Your Ames is the only person named Ames as a first name that I yes. know of. Yeah. So, it, maybe it's Emmett. Well, these Warby Parker people are literary. Warby Parker's name has literary origins. Right. So maybe they also love. Maybe. Because the, we got the idea for Ames. He's not named after Reverend Ames in Gilead, but we sort of got the name. Like, what, what, what about that is a first name? Yeah. We like that. So anyway, I don't know why, except that I, I can't get over it. So there, there's my Warby Parker story. I enjoy the glasses very much. They came fast. They look great. Yeah, they have um, a great sorting happy. tool on the Warby Parker website. I've been poking around at ordering new glasses, and I have a narrow face, and you can sort the oh, that's frames. interesting. You can sort the frames by width. Um, so if you want, you know, like for me, I want like funky sort of chunky reading glasses, but I want them to fit my face, and you can sort them by how wide they are, so that mm. you like I look at only like the most narrow ones, and then they'll send me five of those. See, I'm the opposite way. I've got I've got a pumpkin head, so yes, I, I need nice, big, you know, relatively large. Right, glasses. so you can sort for pumpkin head, yeah. and Warby Parker will show you just the ones. There are other sorting tools too, but yes. that's the one that um, I think most commonly I've heard at least people when they talk about looking for glasses if you're having trouble with them fitting your face it's that width thing uh so you can sort for that on the warby parker website all right well that's enough of warby parker for now let's get on to the 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 stories of the day uh let's see what's the big story this week hmm well let's do prizes i mean the prize talk yeah we're in 
we're in book awards season. Yeah, so. it's time. So the Man Booker Prize was announced on the 14th, so Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the winner was... Um, Richard Flanagan. Richard Flanagan for his novel, The Narrow Road to the Deep North, um, he's published a, by Chato and Windus. He's an Australian He's born in Tasmania. Tas, Tasmania. Tasmania. Tasmanian born. Sorry, my <laughs> font is super small. And I'm looking weird there. Um is it's the third this... Australian to win, so actually it's two in a row, mm-hmm. because uh, Eleanor, Cat- what's her name? Eleanor Catton. Catton, yeah. I was th- one I last year for the Luminaries. Luminaries won last year. We talked about last week. It's just now out in paperback. Um, it's his sixth novels, and he's considered by many to be one of Australia's finest novelists. You know, I and have to admit, I don't know that many. I don't either. Novels. And it's about the experiences of a surgeon in a Japanese POW camp on the now infamous Thailand-Burma Railway. So, so there you know, he goes. Well, I don't know like anything about it. Light subject matter for the Man Booker winner. Uh, I don't know anything about him either. I was I follow. Um, I think his U.S. publisher is Godine, and I was following. I follow someone who works for them on Twitter, and so they had you know interesting things to say, and were sharing cool information about Richard Flanagan earlier this week. I kind of love it when a prize winner is an author or a book that I've yes. never heard of before. Like there was a ton of buzz about the luminaries last year and it seems like rightfully oh, that's so. Right. Yeah. There was buzz before it got the award. Yeah. Too. There was yeah, a lot of, a, a lot of buzz. And so when she won, it was just like, people were like, Oh, well I was already going to read that. But yeah. now that she won, I'm definitely going to read it. And it seems at least in the U S where um, perhaps Richard Flanagan isn't as well known, or at least in our sample size of two where Richard Flanagan is not as well known. Uh, there's some new interest in an author that we haven't heard of before. I think that's great. Are you ready for a tangent that's sort of really, I mean, oh. I got a weird tangent. I don't know. I'm I, always ready for a I've, tangent. I've got a, sort of a, a, a O'Neill's razor here. <laughs> well, I've got many razors, but one of them is, I think if you set your book during World War II, you get a lower degree of difficulty. You think? You know what I mean? The, the drama is just so natural. Everyone knows sort of the, that it was a big deal. And there's so many settings and ready-made stories and plot. I don't know. I'm just... I was thinking about this the other day of like, you know, World War II has been the great narrative gen- machine of the 20th century. It's kind of like mm-hmm. the Trojan War was for the ancient Greeks. Like, they just kept telling Trojan War stories. We're just going to keep, and there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just like, I don't know, it just seems like it's such a ready-made setting. And again, this is a little bit different, the Thailand-Burma Railway. I certainly haven't read one uh, anything set there. But just feels like... Another World War II novel? I don't know. Maybe that's I'm just gonna me. I'm going to modify. You're, you're going to kibosh that? No, no, no. I'm not going to kibosh. I think you're on to something. But I think it's if you write like a big, either gutsy take on war or yeah. like a piece of a war story that we haven't heard about before, like yeah. this Thailand-Burma railway. I think it's the war story thing that perhaps either we're so drawn to it or you get you know, a, a, not a pass, but what did you say? Like you're, the bar is lower. The bar is lower. Yeah. The, bar um, is lo- the degree of difficulty, right? right you're just doing, you're just doing like, a, you're doing a jackknife, not but, one of those three twisting 720 cannon, you know, things you know, that t- divers do. Yeah. I don't think it's exclusive to World War II, but yeah, that's fair. we're far enough away from World War II that lots and lots of fiction has been written about it. And so yeah. we have that whole big body and now there, there's a growing body of Vietnam War fiction. We've got the things they carried. We had um, Matterhorn a few mm-hmm. years 
ago, which I believe was nominated for some prizes, but didn't win any. And then like in 20, I think it was in 2012, we had that whole spate of Iraq right. war novels where we got and Yellow Birds, Yellow and Birds David and, Abrams' Fobbit. And, and Billy Lynn's Long Halftime half Walk, Walk, sort of yep. all together. Um, and all of those were gutsy in their own way um and had you know like the heart-rending war story but also some commentary um, and social perspective built in and Mm -hmm. they all there was lots of buzz the yellow birds and billy lynn were nominated for a bunch of things so i think maybe there's just something so irresistible but not in like a fun way about no, I agree like, you know, with like the that. Yeah, yeah. Of war, like it's so human, and it's coming from a coming from places that we intend to be positive sometimes, or at least meaning to fight for the right thing or to make some kind of change. But we're sending eighteen-year-olds off to do it, and that's serious. And so all these angles that come together, and then like weird little side stories, like the what was the monuments men. Yes. No, again, again, let me do an O'Neill's razor variation addendum, which is <laughs> I'm not saying that they're not value, valuable stories. Like, oh, I yeah, want the stories. Yeah, yeah. I want, and they're not interesting, and I know why they're so rich. I'm mm-hmm. just telling you, if we're judging artistic achievement, you see what I'm yeah. getting at? Mm-hmm. Like, if we're, if we're judging rider divers off the, the, high, the high platform thing, boy, you know, could tell I should be on the, <laughs> yeah, the uh, color that. commentary Let's just roll back. for the uh, Rio Olympics. Um, that, you know, I think using a ready-made familiar setting like World War II lowers a degree of difficulty. It doesn't mean you can't still do something great, yeah. but it's a little bit different than like Gilead, which is about a 70-year-old Iowa preacher sitting around writing a letter. So what you're saying is your war novel has to be great, but yeah. less great than anything else to get right. Yeah. To get recognition. That's, I can sort of roll. Uh, the, 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 um, the O'Neill's razor variation addendum corollary is television. I often hear people talk, what's the greatest TV show of all time? Well, mm. I actually, O'Neill's razor has two <laughs> categories for greatest TV shows of times. Book, uh, TV shows with guns and TV shows without guns. Ah. Because I think guns and all the kinds of things they symbolize suggest a different kind of thing. Like, I think Mad Men has to create drama in a completely different way than, say, Breaking Bad or The Wire or The mm. Sopranos does. Mm-hmm. Because you got, it's like the old show, you got the gun on the table, you know that thing's going to go off, like you have ready-made tension built in. Whereas something like Mad Men, you have to do all these other things to have drama and tension that's not about really someone shooting someone else or getting thrown in prison or any, you know, so you can see yeah. what I'm getting at a little I, bit there. I do. You know, the more that I'm thinking about this, I'm not sure I agree with you about the lower bar for the, for okay. the war stories, right, because fair. I think it's, it's ready-made subject matter. And so tons of people write novels about oh, you go on the other, you go on the other World way. War II, but it's harder to write a really unique interesting one or mm. or one that is sharp and funny but that walks that line the right way and so not everybody's going for sharp and funny but like i thought that billy lynn's long halftime walk did that in a way that i had not read a war novel do that before and war novels are a thing that i sort of unexpectedly fell for over the last decade i've read a, a jillion mm. um everybody wants to have commentary about what war means or what the experience of being a soldier is, but sometimes it becomes too heavy handed and sometimes it's too preachy or sometimes it's too driven by the author's one experience standing in for what they presume is a universal experience. There's so many ways that can go wrong that to deliver it and hit all the marks, Mm -hmm. I think is really hard. Um, 
Well, at the, mm. at the very least, we can we can we can say that you totally agree with me, and I'm completely right, and we can yeah. move on from here. And and that's a nice segue because the finalists for the National Book Award yes. were, were announced this week, and one of them in the fiction pile uh, is Redeployment by Phil Clay, which is about the which you read. Iraq War. I did. It's a collection of. I guess linked short stories, uh, really, but each one is from the perspective of a different person working in a different role, either in the military or married to someone who's uh, in the military and in the U.S. and abroad, you know, on base in Afghanistan, somewhere in the U.S., kind of all over the place. Um, And I really, really liked it. I was very impressed that he embodied and that he got into the heads of so many different kinds of uh, people working in working in and related to the military and so many different perspectives on war in mm-hmm. one book. Um, he served in Iraq as a public affairs officer um, in 2007 and 2008. So he knows of what he writes. Um, I thought it was great. Yeah, um, I want to read that at some point. Yeah, sure. it was good. The rest of the, the rest of the list is good too. A, war, a World War II novel. Now, All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony. Do you know how to say his last name? D-O-E-R-R, Door? I've been saying Door. Yeah, that's what I've been saying too. We're probably wrong. Correct us if we're If you know, incorrect. please tell us. Um, which by all accounts is great. Uh, set in a French coastal city while a young blind French girl is waiting out the war. Um, a German orphan who gets caught up in the Nazi youth, jumps back and forth in time, mysterious radio broadcast, blah, blah, blah. Um, again, you know, I, I have to, maybe I'm, I am influenced by my own razor where I'm like, okay, war novel, I'm sure it's great. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm moving on. You know, I don't know. An unnecessary woman. Oh boy. Um, Robbie, 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 Alamadine. Alam, Alam, Alamadine, that sounds good. That's right. Let's go with that. Um, the apartment of a 72-year-old in Beirut. She lives alone, and some might consider a smaller, boring life. See, now that's a degree of difficulty right there. Mm-hmm. The 72-year-old woman living alone in Beirut. Um, she stays, stays at home, home, translates favorite writers into Arabic. So it's a, And lives mostly in her books and her memories. Man, I am in that to win I know. it. That's, you know, that sounds like an interesting... Uh, that sounds interesting to me. That's a that's a that's a hard that's a hard. Uh, this is like this sounds like it's in the the recent James Salter mm, yes. vein. Per, older person reflecting on their life, living in books and memory. Certainly not that James Salter has a lock on that, but uh, his latest novel, All That Is, did that beautifully. Then we have uh, Lila, which we've talked, <sighs> we talked about last week. We're both about a third of the way in. We are. What do you think so far? It's so good. So good. Yeah, so good. I'm reading so slowly. Like (laughs) my intention with Marilyn Robinson is always, I'm just going to sit down and read this whole book right now. Like I will give my day to Marilyn Robinson, Mm -hmm. but I end up doing like 25 or 50 pages at a time, and then putting it down to make it last longer and just soak everything in. The voice is so wonderful. It's so it's so good. It's really amazing. Um, I don't know where it's going, and I don't care. I'm I'm just in for it. God, but you know, as soon as I got 10 pages in, I just was thinking, I hope there's another novel. I oh. hope there's another Gilead. I just want more. I want. I want to from the like a kid. Whole, I guess like that's or or I think from uh, the younger um, Botton's family. You mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe his wife 
was it he, Memphis or St. Louis they were hiding out in? I can't remember. Both. It's both, it, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyways, we're we're speaking obliquely, <laughs> we, intentionally. The wonk factor, just yeah, right. Well, we don't want to spoil it either. Yeah, uh, it's so lovely. Also, I think you could read and love Lila. Without, oh yeah, people were asking having, us about that without having read Gilead, but it's kind of a a prequel. So you, I think the experience would be different reading Lila than Gilead, if, going in that order rather than Gilead and then Lila, because you're bringing the set of yes. knowledge that we have. Like Lila takes place about what, 40 years before? Yes. Gilead. Um, not 40, like well, yeah, like, 40, well, like 20 years before Gilead. I'm a little fuzzy. It's multi-decade. I'm not okay. sure exactly how long. Um, but there's a lot that if you've read Gilead and you know the people already that um, that Lila is about to meet or that her life is encountering. I think I th- you definitely could. I think, though, Robinson did him in this order for a reason. Is what agree. I, I agree. So I, I don't know why you would want to read Lila without having read Gilead. I mean, maybe I mean, maybe it's the new book out or whatever. But yeah, if you haven't read Gilead, go read that. Several of you tweeted me this week um, since... We talked about Marilyn Robinson last week, asking uh, if you haven't read her, where to start. And Housekeeping was the first book. Um, so it's okay. Often, yeah, people really like that book. Gilead. It is. I think it's. I think it's good. Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's good. But if you really want a flavor of Marilyn Robinson and you haven't read her before, I think start with Gilead. If that rings your bells, you're going to also like Home and Lila. And now you have a set of three books that go together that you can read and have all your Marilyn Robinson. Yeah. Um, if you read Gilead and it doesn't work for you, that's a pretty good indicator that yep. she's not going to be. That's a really good point. And the Gilead trilogy now with Lila as the third, altogether it's only about 800 pages Yeah, all told. So you can get through all three. If you think of it as just one like, big one, that would be nice. I wonder if somebody will do that, like a nice – Omnibus Gilead oh. trilogy, kind of like with the Dos Passos USA trilogy, which or people like don't really a, read them individually now. Like a beautiful hardcover boxed set. That's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. I want that. Okay, and so the last final. Yes, also is, very good. It's so so good. Did you read it too? I have read this now. Station Eleven by Emily St. John. Not very Mandel. long either. Three hundred-ish pages. And man, it just cooks. It does. It does cook. That is definitely true. So uh, it let's is. See, feels a little prescient. Also. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. if you're say. at all like freaked out about what's happening with Ebola right now, then you should maybe hold Station Eleven <laughs> for yeah. a little while. Uh, but it it begins uh, on Earth in uh, like the present or the very near future when uh, the write up here on NPR says an apocalyptic plague, but it's the flu. It's like the super mm-hmm. flu hits and almost everyone dies very quickly, and then we zoom twenty years forward um, to a little to a character who was a little girl on the night that the flu hit acting uh, in a stage production of King Lear and now 20 years later she's traveling through the upper Midwest like the Michigan Peninsula type area in a a troop of actors and musicians uh, like a traveling orchestra of sorts and we see her life um, it has kind of a Walking Dead flavor to this like small band of people roaming between the different little settlements that have yeah. popped up um, since all the cities have disappeared. But you know there aren't zombies. It's just this is the world uh, twenty years after this plague. And can we go on another tangent? Yes. Um, it's not really a tangent. It's about Station Eleven. Like 
I was reading it, and it felt to me like a very of-the-moment novel, not not just because of the topic of the, the apocalyptic plague, whatever, but, mm-hmm. like, this is what contemporary literary fiction is doing right now. Yeah. Like, it's kind of genre. It takes pieces of some genre tropes, mm-hmm. does different things with them, tries riskier kinds of stuff. Because, like, you could argue that this is maybe a little dystopian, right? I or I don't know. Or like, I mean, I. It's I also it's also my apocalyptic. It's not an apocalyptic plague. It's a cataclysm. Anyway, that's you know <laughs> we've, we've done this before. <laughs> People will get angry with us. I know, but you know what? I'm angry. I'll, I'll fight fight <laughs> well, anger yeah, with anger. Not that that's ever stopped us. Yeah. So anyway, but like it really feels like it's beautifully written. It's really smart and thoughtful, and it's about it, more than just what it's about. It is, and she just what knocked me out about this book is that Mandel just thought about every little detail of daily life that would go away Mm -hmm. (laughs) and every little thing that would be different. And she finds ways to work that into the narrative. That's not, you're not getting hit with a list of the ways that life has changed, but it's, it's subtle. And then you're like, Oh, I never thought about how that would disappear. I never thought about how this thing would be different. It's just so carefully, planned and beautifully written. Um, I saw her saying on Twitter yesterday that someone has been describing it or multiple writers have described it as science fiction. I wouldn't call it that. No, no. Um, speculative fiction, perhaps. Oh, we've had this argument before. Well, well I mean, she, here's a good you know, way of putting it. She yeah. definitely seems to, or I, I compliment, compliment myself before I actually say anything. Um, she's an inheritor of Atwood. Like this is, yeah, this is, and this is like a, Atwood 2.0 sort of book, yeah, it that's feels like to me. exactly what I was about to say. Was that oh, I'll, then you were, had a very good way of putting it. I just, <laughs> it feels... Well, I, I made the comparison on YouTube, Jeff. Oh, okay. I don't think I watched that, but maybe I got it through osmosis, but yes. No, I think they are. I'm not... I don't, I'm sure I wasn't the first. Like, okay. it's... Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's similar in concept to what Atwood does in those in the Mad Adam trilogy, but without without all the sci-fi elements. There aren't like hybrid animals mm-hmm. running around or crazy corporations doing things or anything like that. This is just humans 20 years after most of humanity is gone. And so, so they're just trying to make do. They're put, building settlements. They're figuring out how to raise kids. Some of them went a little crazy and started cults. Some of them think that they're new prophets. Like there's a little bit of everything. And I, I think you're so right to call it of the moment. Because mm-hmm. um, she also is looking at how we rely on and use technology now and what happens when that goes away. And there's this lovely like detail where there's a sort of museum that holds all the gadgets that don't work anymore because we don't have electricity anymore. (laughs) Um, And there's a a set of characters where like one character is remembering the last conversation that he had with someone before the guy died. And it's all in business jargon. And like he regrets deeply that the last conversation he had with someone he cared about was comprised (laughs) of things like, well, let's circle back around on how we can move the needles, Steve. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God, that could totally happen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's it's great at any rate. So, yeah, we both recommend. I mean, we've both read 
So we've both read Station Eleven and Lila. Did, mm-hmm. did you had read Redeployment? I've read Redeployment. That. I'm going to read an unnecessary woman. That in the sounds next interesting. Week or and so. We've. I know several of our writers have really liked um, All the Light We Cannot See. So I linked to it today and said, by all accounts, it seems like a pretty good list. Yeah, yeah. The non snubs. I, you know, I, I'm not big into this. Oh, of like snubs or what? I mean, anything you would have expected on there? I can't remember. No, it's been a really good year for fiction. Yeah, but haven't had. But, a, haven't had a tent pole sort of title Yeah, and yet. any time that you're just picking five books, yeah. like pretty much everything else is getting snubbed. Um, yeah, I guess I, before the list was announced, I was like, what will I be surprised not to see on there? Yeah. I couldn't really come up with anything, you know, to be honest. Usually the National Book Award is the one of the U.S. Mm-hmm. book awards that I'm furthest away from. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, it's interesting to me that I've read three of them this year, and I'm definitely going to read the fourth. I've read a lot of great fiction this year um that's all right you know an acceptable answer. yeah but there's yeah. nothing that i was like like i remember the year matterhorn came out ah. being like but where is matterhorn on this list right. right um and there's nothing that that is blatantly missing to my eye but there's been a lot of a lot of great fiction though people really have been talking about station 11 they really and have. lila too i mean mm-hmm. i guess those are the two to me that i was least surprised to see on the list if that makes uh, and very happy emily mandel has written yeah her other novels I've really enjoyed as well, but this is a whole new thing for her. Her other work is sort of noirish crime fiction with a twist. Um, this is a totally different direction and a real level up. Um, so, uh, also she's just a really nice person. So I'm excited to see that happen. And probably, and I didn't check this, but I'm sure all five of those books are available as an audiobook, say on like audible.com, maybe mm, audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from fiction Nonfiction. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about the rest of the National Book Award um, shortlist just because we don't have time and we've read way, way less yeah. of those. But uh, you can find those. I'll put a link in the show note. Bestsellers, every category imaginable. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own the files. They're yours. You've got free apps for your iPhone, your Android device, your Windows phone. Almost everything you can think of to play an MP3 Pretty file much. on, Audible supports. Um, let's see. You can access your book anytime from your phone. You download it onto your phone. You can listen to it while you're on a plane or a subway, anything easily like that. So you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash book, for a free 30 day trial. And that includes a free book, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, if you go to that, it also lets them know that you came from us and they'll come back and support the show. And then we can go on tangents. That's, yes. that's how this virtuous. We are works. feeling very tangential today. Yeah. So um, let's see. I've got a. Also, do you have an audiobook rec? I do, but also with Audible, you can, if you're sharing your account, oh, I know yes. you, you and Michelle share, you an, do account. share an account. Yes. I share an Audible account with our uh, great coworker and my work husband, Clint. Um, you can both listen to the same book and have bookmarks in different places. Oh, I didn't so, know that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, there have been a couple of points where, like, I've been at one point in a book and Clint wants to listen to the same thing. So he just, like, drops a. You, you sort of drop a marker and it shows him like, you know, because Audible knows one is Rebecca's iPhone and the other is Clint's uh, Android phone. And so when you open it up, it's like, do you want to start at your bookmark or Clint started listening here, um, which I think is kind of great. And then you can also talk about the audiobooks that you're both listening to. So what are you listening to right now? I just finished Stories I Only Tell My Friends by uh, Rob, the Rob Lowe. Lowe book. Okay. How was it? It was, okay. It was so great. Um, is it dishy or not? It's a li- it's a little dishy. Okay. I think it's the first celebrity memoir. Well, no, I mean I've read Tina Fey and Mindy Kaling. Yeah, those count. Hard um, to say. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, as many of our listeners know, I am heavy in the throes of a West Wing obsession. Ah, uh, yes. And so it was 
cool to all the ladies love Sam and I got past yeah I got past the seasons that Rob Lowe is on on the West Wing before I listened to the book so that there wouldn't be any spoilers for me (laughs) but it's fantastic and then when I got shot in season oh (laughs) yeah exactly I am studiously avoiding West Wing spoilers I do not know what happens and I like it that way so far Uh, it's great he narrates the book himself he's like you know that voice he's so charming he does great impressions oh really Um, yeah, which was surprising to me. Like he um, talks about, you know, how he got into acting and being a young kid who, who was really ambitious and willing to kind of try anything. Um, and sort of fortuitously, like his mother on her third marriage moved to California and they just happened to live down the street from Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen and their father, Martin Sheen, who was coming off the filming of Apocalypse Now. Mm. Um and how he eventually found himself auditioning for The Outsiders, which Francis Ford Coppola was directing after Apocalypse Now. Um, so he does like a Francis Ford Coppola impression when he's talking about <laughs> Coppola talking to him. Um, he does a bunch of people's voices in the reading and it was it's pretty great. It's so just like charming and heartfelt and uh, interesting stuff about Hollywood and his experiences Um being a being a young actor and then eventually getting uh it goes kind of right up to the west wing um and what happened uh with him on the show there was some stuff i didn't know about i thought it was great mm. um cool. th- he has another one i'm gonna listen to that i had just started hillary clinton's uh hard choices so i'm spending you can tell like, us how that is when you're done in uh april i know i'm just gonna drive around for <laughs> like 26 hours and listen to it <laughs> What are you listening to? I am listening to The Innovators by Walter Isaacson, which Mm. is about the invention of the computer or computers as we know Mm. it, um, told through, I think I'm only in the first chapter. I think it's basically each chapter is the story of one person who contributed. Oh, cool. Because, you know, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like that. It's not like, uh, what's his name? I can't think of Steve Mar- Jobs? Marconi, no. who invented oh. like basically the telegram, or Edison, who invented the, 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 um, oh God, the, the, you know, video or Alexander Graham Bell who invented the telephone. Like mm-hmm. there's not sort of one inventor. So he's going back and sort of um, fragmenting them and putting it together. The first chapter is about uh, Ada Lovelace. It was actually Ada Lovelace Day yesterday, mm-hmm. um, who was a uh, countess. Actually, her name is uh, Ada Countess of Lovelace, but it's been colloquially shortened to Ada Lovelace. She was Lord Byron's daughter. What? Only daughter. Who he, he, she never met him. Basically, Byron, being Byron, wasn't the most faithful of husbands. <laughs> he actually married Ada's mother, but then did Byron things, and she wanted to leave, and as a condition of their separation, he could never see her again. Wow. And he, when he died, he died of, uh, he died, I think of some, like just a flu or something getting ready to fight in the war of Greek independence. And he writes this letter saying, if I only could have seen my daughter, you know, it's got, it's horribly sad. But anyway, but she was really influential in the early formation of what we think of as computers. She was a friend and uh, mentee of Charles Babbage, if that's a name Mm -hmm. that, you know, people sometimes know. Um, she was a, 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 a precocious mathematician, um, who was encouraged by her mother. She had a little of her dad in her, which I think for the time she needed because she was so arrogant about her abilities that she just sort of plowed through all of the sort of social barriers to a woman being involved in the sciences. A lady needs moxie, Jeff. Yeah, and a little bit of delusion because she said, I think I have a unique genius for understanding the secrets of the universe. Like, that's actually something she wrote in her diary, but 
you know, got to give it to her. She probably needed to think she was special in order to um, deal with all the, the, cool. the barriers to her. And it's super interesting. Isaacson is a, is a great writer, former CEO of CNN. He wrote an, a biography of Einstein and one of Steve Jobs. So uh, I'm really into that. Really interesting book. Cool. And Innovators if, by Walter Isaacson. If none of that sounds interesting to you, a book riot listener named Lindy Pratch, oh, yeah, cool. uh, who, who works for the Edmonton Public Library, and she previously sent us cool information about um, services that they're doing there, made a list online of audiobooks for people who love to eat. And I fall in that category, and I like, <laughs> I like to eat, and I like to read about eating and food. And so this is an awesome list. It has Delicious by Ruth Reichel, Blood, Bones, and Butter by Gabrielle. Gabrielle Hamilton, which is one of my very favorite chef memoirs. Uh, there's some Michael Pollan. There's Consider the Fork by B. Wilson, which is a history of how we cook and eat. That's also fantastic. There's a bunch of other stuff. So we'll put the link uh, to this list in the show notes as well. Um, if you are you know, wanting to, this would be perfect since we always talk about how you can listen to audiobooks yes. while you're cooking. You can kind of go meta and cook while you listen to an audiobook about cooking. That's a great idea. Thank you, Lindy, for sending that along. And I'll put that in the show notes as well, you can always find show notes at bookwrite.com slash podcast. And this is episode 75. All right, we're running along. Let's do two more news things before we get to new book. Uh, this is pretty fast. We've talked about this before, but we got official dates for the Harry Potter spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantastical Beasts and Where to Find Them, presumably starring Newt Scamander, though that's, I don't think, been officially announced. But um, So the first movie, tw- there's going to be movies in 2016, 2018, and 2020. Okay. So every two years, starting two years from now. Um, but maybe the more interesting thing is that the CEO of Warner Brothers says it will be at least a trilogy. Interesting. And there's a lot of other rumors that that Warner Brothers is going to go the way of like the Marvel Universe with the Harry Potter universe. Huh. They're going to have, you know, you're going to have a, uh, a maybe a Captain America equivalent movie like <laughs> Ron Weasley 3. You can see that happening. I would watch a whole series of like I want a Hermione franchise. Well, that and now a, that's oh, just oh, clear. Oh, Everyone needs Jenny that. Weasley, a Jenny yeah. Weasley franchise. Um, young Dumbledore. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you there's know, some can, there's speculation that we might get Young Dumbledore yes, in in this because that. if you if this is the first you've heard of it, J.K. Rowling is going to be writing a series of movies for Warner Brothers and, that are set. And congratulations in. for waking up from that coma as right. well. <laughs> Uh, they're set like a hundred years before Harry Potter, yes. but in the world of Harry Potter, still that wizarding, you know, thing. Um, and some of, some of it takes place in old New York, I guess, mm-hmm. um, which was once new Amsterdam. Yes. And she sort of hinted that we might get to see young Dumbledore. So that, that's the news there. Um, that's interesting. I, I found the most interesting nerdy thing for us, I found, was Verso Books, which is a UK publisher, mm-hmm. um, they went into their own direct sales recently. Interesting. We've, we've talked about HarperCollins doing this, some of the other publishers doing this. They're a British company. Mm-hmm. Um, but they gave us hot numbers, which you and I... Mm, I do like are, fresh hot are, numbers. We like a hot steaming bowl of numbers. Um, <laughs> Show title. <laughs> and uh, they told it... So they, you know, this, this is kind of... The post is on Book Brunch, which is a, a British um, book industry news site. But they talked about, you know, what they found to be helpful, the lessons they learned. But the thing I found most interesting so far is that they projected in their first 12 months 
that they would do 200,000 pounds of business, which mm-hmm. is comes out to be um, $320,000 of business. Okay. They've done 300,000 pounds in their first six months. Hmm. And okay. they only do 3 million pounds a year for the whole company. So like 10% of their... So 10% in six months. So they're, gonna, right. they're on pace to basically triple their expectations, um, which I thought was really interesting. We don't know if this is a future for book publishing, uh, publishers, mm-hmm. I should say, but their data, and again, they wouldn't be publishing it if they weren't proud of it, I don't think so. I'm yeah, sure, sure other people's mileage may vary. But I thought that was a really interesting, good sign for this particular practice. Um, they do a lot of their own discounting. They do free shipping. You know, a lot of things all of us who buy books online are going to be looking for. Um, yeah. I, yeah you know, I don't know what else to say about it, yeah, but I thought that was interesting. To I'm say. looking at it now. Interesting, you know, sort of what we learned lessons. Um, they offered free eBooks yeah. um, using a social DRM bundled with a physical book. So they did bundling. Mm-hmm. They offered good discounts because you have to be competitive with other online retailers. And for the first couple of weeks, they offered 50% off everything just to yep. make people pay attention. And then they note it a little farther down in the piece that um, you need more content. You can't just like sit around and wait for customers to find you, but that you need to find and engage them online and give them a reason to come and shop in your uh, special corner of the internet rather right. than other large big boxes online. So that's... That's interesting. I'm glad they're exceeding. I hope in like six months we get to see the HarperCollins numbers about what's been going on with um, selling ebooks directly through the HarperCollins website. Good, they'll tell us. And if it's not good, maybe I should make a note now to go looking for those numbers in like four months. And if they're not around, I mean that's you know that's not that's a (laughs) that's correlation, not causality. Yeah, silence. But I think we could maybe read something some things also. Yeah. Um. So let's do let's do new books, or we we got another sponsor. We got one more sponsor this week. Hit by Lori Ann Glover. Um. It is about a girl named Sarah who, after receiving a full ride scholarship to Mills College for Girls, oh, another campus story. There you go. I will take it. Uh, her future's all laid out for her. She has this full ride scholarship, uh, but then she walks into a poetry class led by a Mr. Haddings. He's a student teacher from a nearby university. Um, and suddenly life on the campus seems very appealing. Mm. And she, mm, which, oh. uh, Sarah finds herself using her poetry journal to subtly declare her feelings for Mr. Haddings. Um, Man, I am old enough that this makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but she's also convinced that he is flirting back. And so she sets off for school in the rain with a poem in her back pocket that will declare her feelings once and for all. Uh, Mr. Haddings has noticed Sarah's attention, but the fallout from any perceived relationship with a student is too great a risk. And so he's decided to end all the speculation on that same morning that she's on her way to make her final declaration. Uh, But everything changes when he feels a thud on his front bumper when he is glanced away from the road. I was wondering where the title was going to come into play. And here we are. And he finds Sarah in the street with blood pooling beneath her. That's the hit. Oh, no. And I bet it goes so, well for him after this. I'm sure that just Everyone like... Everyone understands. The cops don't, are they not suspicious. <laughs> so we've got some like f- mm. forbidden attraction, the teacher-student thing, mm-hmm. an accident that's going to look scandalous. Uh, so that's Hit by Lori Ann Glover. There will be a link to the book in the show notes. You can check it out for yourself wherever books are sold. 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sounds good. It does. It sounds interesting. Fair, I mean, that's a that's a fraught premise, that's for sure. I'll tell you I that know. much. That's a, it's gutsy. I confessed to you on my Reading Lives episode that I had a professor, an English professor in college that I like wanted to have the guts to go mm. to this office hour. <laughs> you didn't write secret bad poetry declaring your love for there? No, it's like uh, in my head, I'm Gina from Empire Records, mm. but in reality, I'm Corey, like not knowing <laughs> what to do when you actually get alone with Rex Manning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on that note. New books. books. So many great new books this week. Um, first up is Without You, There Is No Us by Suki Kim. It is a memoir of her time with the sons of North Korea's elite. Um so Suki Kim spent six months um, during, oh no, more than that, during the last six months of Kim Jong-il's reign, Suki Kim was teaching English in North Korea to the ruling classes, um, where three times a day the students march in straight lines singing praises to Kim Jong-il and North Korea. And the wording is, without you, there is no motherland. Without you, there is no us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where the, the title comes from. Um, It's 2011, and all the universities in North Korea have been shut down for an entire year, and the students have been sent to construction fields, except for the 270 students at at an all-male university in Pyongyang. Um, It's a walled compound where Mm. portraits of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il look on from the walls of every room, and she's teaching English there for six months, eating three meals a day with her you know, young students and teaching them to write under the eye of the regime. And so now this is the memoir of those six months. I know. Sounds totally fascinating. And also like, I kind of wonder how she got to write it. Like, Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. Without threats or maybe what got cut there. Like there's a story behind a story. Yes. That Uh, seemed right. Just know that. So I'm, I'm going to read that or maybe audio book would be good. Um, but I'm going to read that really soon that we haven't talked about that. I mean, I'm sure we've mentioned it, but audio books that are written from a real person's voice read Mm -hmm. by that person are like, that's a thing. Like I really, I really like that. Yeah. Fiction. I don't care if it's the author that I don't mind, but like, like the Rob Lowe you talked about or the Tina Fey or whatever. Yeah, I know. We both, we, I mean, we have bunches of writers at Book Riot who love fiction on audio, but for both of us, it's all yeah, nonfiction. nonfiction. I have a hard time like attending to what's happening in a story and building the world in my head of a fiction story um, on audio. So I just do nonfiction, but I feel like this would be fascinating. Sorry, it, for, sorry for tangent number three today. On that well, part. I mean, we should just make it a good solid number of <laughs> while we're doing it. Trifecta of tangents. Yeah. All right, what uh, else we got? Okay, so some a couple that dovetail nicely with each other. Um, in the nonfiction vein, there is The Birth of the Pill by Jonathan Eig, which is this fascinating and really thoroughly researched look at the development of the birth control pill. Um, and the four people who made it happen. So one of those being Margaret Sanger, whose name uh, many of us probably know from her being sort of the modern mother of the birth control movement and of Planned Parenthood. But we also get to know uh, the sort of eccentric, uh, rich old woman who funds a ton of the birth control research, the doctor slash scientist who spends 
decades trying to identify the right chemicals and compounds and the right combination of those that's safe and effective as birth control. And then also a politician named John Rock, who is a who happens to be a practicing Catholic at the time, who tries to use his position to help make the use of birth control socially acceptable. Mm. So it's about how they the science behind developing the birth control pill, but more how uh, these four people worked together to bring it to market, but then also to create a culture that would accept having mm. birth control be available and sort of how this revolutionary innovation of the 20th century got to be a revolutionary innovation of the 20th century. I loved it. Fascinating. It's so fascinating. So well-researched. Um, the voice is really engaging. You get to know these people and their quirks and their eccentricities and what made them hard to work with and what made them, you know, assets to the movement. Really interesting stuff. Highly recommend that one if you're into that sort of thing. Um, Glory O'Brien's History of the Future by A.S. King, who's my favorite young adult writer. Um, that's out this week. And it is. Uh, it begins with two teenage girls, Glory O'Brien being one of them, who find a petrified bat. On, I feel like I've talked about this on one of the shows. You might have, yeah. I think um, you might have talked about they this. They find anyway. a petrified bat hanging from one of, the, one of their decks. And they're teenage girls, so they take the petrified bat and they grind him into dust and mix him with a warm beer. And they drink the bat dust beer. And it gives them this ability to, when they look at people see that person's flashes from that person's um, infinite past and future. So like I could look at you and know mm. uh, that your mother, you know, something about your mother's past, but also that um, 40 years from now, what your daughter is going to be doing. And they start seeing flashes of the second American civil war, um, which is brought about by a loophole that someone finds that uh, pushes women out of the workplace and for basically forbids birth control and reproductive freedom and women's rights. And the civil war that A.S. King imagines results not from a racial conflict, but over the battle of gender rights. Um, I know she finished it like a year ago. And so some of the things that she predicts happening in the book have happened since the book was like, since the book was turned in, um, which is a weird prescient thing. There is certainly a political perspective. It's about Gloria O'Brien discovering coping with her family situation and her mother's death when she was younger, but also discovering her feminist identity. Um, and so if that's a thing that makes you angry or you're not into it, I would avoid this one. But <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate it any time an author just fully commits to what their perspective is. And A.S. King does that so well. She doesn't mess around with trying to soften it or sugarcoat uh, what she's saying. She is saying something about contemporary society and about feminism and about dangerous things that, you know, could happen in a speculative future and she just goes there no apologies mm. which i think is great cool yeah um let's see Ooh, in celebrity memoirs oh I'll, let me take this one for you all right you give you a break have you read you haven't read this yet i've have read you? parts of it, read I part of it. it i'm gonna get around to this at some point it's as you wish inconceivable tales from the making of the princess bride by carrie ells is that how you say it i say elwes but i have no idea i think it might be ells it's e-l-w-e-s the so internet problems um the actor who played wesley slash the dread pirate roberts from the princess bride it's a book about the making of the princess bride so it's kind of an extended 
actor's commentary, you might say. Mm -hmm. um, and it's supposed to be a lot of fun. He tells stories about making the film. He has interviews with Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, actually, who was the director, he wrote the introduction to the book. Billy Crystal, Manny Patinkin, all the people in there about the three months they spent shooting the film, which doesn't seem like very much, especially since he's almost every scene. That's really um, fast. One particular, well, for all of you that have seen it, it's not like it's a high budget movie. Like there's a lot of sound stages, you know, there's no CGI. I don't think they do any green screen, um, anything like that. Um, and reading about it, one, apparently one of the better chapters is, and, and in general, people who've read it seem to really like it, but the, a memorable chapter is he talks about filming the famous fight scene between he and Mandy Patinkin, the sword mm, fight, mm -hmm. on the Cliffs of Despair, um, and how they did all of their own sword fighting except for those flips, where ah. they go on that like that high beam that just oh, happens yeah. to be in this rocky outcropping. <laughs> right, that bar. The, and then the moss is grown, but there's spaces for hands, right? <laughs> Conveniently. Conveniently. Anyway, just part of the charms of the movie. <laughs> um, they spent a lot of time doing that, and they both really got into it. And it's a, a funny and heartfelt and uh, warm recounting of the time there. I mean, you know, if you're a book nerd in our age, or maybe a little older even, mm -hmm. um, this was a book, or a movie we all knew. And the book itself, The Princess Bride, is wonderful. Man, the book is great. Yeah, it's very similar to the movie, um, but just a little bit more so. So that's uh, As You Wish by Carrie. We're saying Ells or Elwes, but, you know, oh, yeah. we'll get a judge's ruling at some point about this. <laughs> uh, and that's our show. That is our show. There we are. It's uh, it's tangential. Um I don't think we came up with any new usable razors, unfortunately, but we sure tried. <laughs> As always, you can find me on Twitter at Reading Ape. You can find Rebecca on Twitter at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Our email, if you want to leave us a comment, is uh, podcast at bookriot.com. Show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. Thank you so much to Warby Parker, Audible, Hit by, I can't remember her name, Hit by? Lori Ann Glover. Lori Ann Glover. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring the show. And is that all we need to tell everyone? You can rate or review the show on oh, iTunes. Oh, yeah, we can. We, can uh, we read all the reviews, and we appreciate ratings. Both of those things help other people to find the show. Um, if you're listening to this, the first O Comics podcast from Panels, our new comic site, is live as well, hosted by the wonderful Paul Montgomery and Preeti Cheever. So give that a shot. You also and might like the. We haven't talked about what Rita Mead also book right hosts the Dear Book Nerd podcast, hosted by. Our friend and colleague, Rita Mead, who's a librarian in Brooklyn, where she has another bookish person on every two weeks taking on Life, book, love, first, book nerd problems. Yeah, book, book nerd, nerd problems. problems. And that's a lot of fun, too. You and can you find can that. subscribe you can, to yes. The Riot Read at riotread.com. And that's us. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week. <laughs>